Business Security Weekly is recorded on Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Each week, we address the challenges facing CISOs through our guest interviews, including former and active CISOs. Our news segment is focused on leadership and communication to better help security leaders translate and communicate security risks into business risks. Jason Albuquerque, Ben Carr, Tyler Robinson, and others add their expertise to the conversation. I'm Matt Alderman, and I hope you search for Business Security Weekly in your favorite podcast catcher and subscribe to download our latest content. Welcome back to Enterprise Security Weekly. Join our Discord channel to chat with our hosts, ask questions, customize live stream alerts, and more. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Discord to receive an invite. All right, now for the Enterprise Security Weekly news. You can check out securityweekly.com forward slash ESW324 if you want to follow along as we go through the news uh, or for links to the articles that we're covering. And we've got some interesting stuff today. So in, in the funding, Secure Code Warriors, a very um, familiar name to me. They've, uh, uh, I organize Besides Knoxville, and, and they're often either a sponsor or they run our CTF or they do both. Uh, so uh, very, very generous of, of them to support local B-Sides and, uh, and to run those, those CTFs. Uh, Ryan, have you ever run into Secure Code Warrior? No, I have not. Definitely similar companies, but it is a really cool space trying to educate developers. Yeah, they yeah. used to come to InfoSec World when I was working there. I think they did a, I know they did some talks. I think they at one point may have done a workshop. So good space. They seem to do it really well. I remember the, the people who were there, including Matthias, um, being smart and knowledgeable. But I also want to comment on their press release. Um, I guess it's not really a pr press release uh, about the, the funding because that's the headline. But I love how TechCrunch started it with a little bit of a story about them instead of just, hey, we got some money hand-waving um, right. and really talked about the need for this, how they've done it, how they were thinking about it. So, you know, taking a little bit of a marketing spin on this. But but I thought that was – it was good because you get so many of these announcements, maybe fewer today than a year ago, but so many funding announcements that, that it's nice to see something that's a little mixed up. Uh, um and, and tells a really good story, not just, hey, we won, or we won. Uh, I guess they did sort of win. I, we got some cash here. We're going to use it to grow our team. Hey, we're going to grow our platform. Hey, we're going to add new features and functionality. It really sets the stage uh, for why Care Code Warrior, as well as just the space in general, is is pretty important. Yeah, and pretty big for one of these companies. Uh, they've raised over $100 million now, um, and, and they say uh, over 400,000 developers across 600 enterprises uh, yeah. is currently where they're at customer-wise, hoping to achieve profitability in 2025. Can totally see it. Uh, I mean, there, there are a lot, of, uh, lot more bootstrapped training, uh, cybersecurity training companies out there than VC-funded. Sure. So it's interesting seeing this go the VC-funded route. But there's a lot of software, a lot of automation behind the training that they do, which is why they're able to do, I think they told me they do something like, like over 200 CTFs every year. Because uh, wow. it's, it's, 
pre- pretty simple for them to just set it up and and uh, you know push it out and let let people hack on it. And it's uh, we get a lot of good feedback about their their CTFs, and it's just part of their training tools. Those CTFs, it's the same tools that that you get when you use them as a customer. Uh, so let's see the the next one here. Vendict, uh, I think this is a seed round, almost ten million for a generative AI GRC tool. So using that, that, generative that's, that's AI seed round, considering the environment we're in. Yeah, using generative AI for responding to security questionnaires. So I, I can't say anything bad about anything that tries to make security questionnaires easier or less painful. So. I don't have a whole lot to say. What do you think, Ryan? You were just talking about security questionnaires. (laughs) Yeah, that's really hitting home to a lot of security practitioners or people in GRC. I I do wonder because a lot of it is knowledge about the environment. So there's only so much it can go on on its own. But you still need someone feeding it the material. It just makes stuff up. It'll be fine. (laughs) It just says yes to everything. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yep. What happens yeah. when they get the data in there from only a certain type of company? Or, you know, what if, I, yeah, I can just see. Well, I, I, I know, I mean, Adrian, so, you're totally on the other side from me, but I can just see how this can result in some dirty data. Well, I, I mean, we're assuming how it works. I, I don't know how their product works, but other products I've seen in this space. Uh, what, what they do is they try and normalize the questions. So they say, okay, if, if we've seen this question before and we've answered, you know, a human has answered this question before, you take all your old questionnaires and you pile it in. And the big pain with security questionnaires is nobody wants to use the same one. Like they want to give you some customized one. But effectively, it, it's pretty rare that you get a new question. Like it might be worded differently, but it's 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 often the same question. So what if they're using the generative AI to normalize those questions? And say, okay, this question is basically asking for the same thing that this other question is, and we got an answer for that in our database, so we'll plug that in. Yeah, that could be really helpful, assuming you've continually validate answers because things change from year to year. But I can see yeah. the value. For you do that. have to update those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So that's note to self: make sure it's applicable before you use the generative AI to fill out your questionnaire. Yeah, I would love to hear more about how they're doing that, and uh, I wish them the best of luck because everyone wants them to to win. <laughs> everyone wants security questionnaires to either go away or get easier. <laughs> um, uh, Specter Ops raised a round. I'm trying to remember what they. Why are they so familiar to me? So they're they're. I was just looking it up. They're responsible for Bloodhound, amongst oh, some sure okay. other things. Yeah. Yep. Bloodhound Enterprise. There you go. Yep. Nailed it. <laughs> it's exactly why I know them. I, I think I've known some folks who have worked there also. So it's, uh, yeah, good stuff. I have a Bloodhound uh, t-shirt somewhere. Interesting, uh, though, that this is around a Series A extension versus mm-hmm. a Series B. So. Yeah, we're seeing a lot, a lot of that. We're, yeah. Yeah, venture rounds and round extensions. Like n- nobody wants to look like they're they're having a down round, right? 
Like nobody right. wants a lower valuation, you know, like, like it's, it's a, it's a way to avoid that stuff. And it, I mean, it's not like it's an extension to a series a, they raised two years ago. They, they raised uh, the rest of this uh, in April. So it's, it's not, you know, even in the before times before the market was terrible, this wasn't too strange a thing to see uh, around extension. Right. And they have, they have some good backers behind this, so it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. Yeah. I don't know much about the next one, Cove. Uh, AI-powered safety layer for the web. I, I, I know nothing here. So if, if nobody's had time to read it, we, we can skip it. But um, they, I think, are just coming out of stealth with a 5.8 million seed round. Yep, that's what it looks like. Yeah, reading it, I, I can't tell what they're doing. Enables customers to use plain English descriptions to train machine learning models on their platform's own data. The ML models then help the customer detect content that violates their policies. So it's it's content detection. So So is this really security? So detecting, so basically taking the, you know, in, in, instead of traumatizing humans uh, who have to go through horrible things that get posted to social media, you know, Facebook can use this instead of traumatizing humans and having to pay for their, their therapy. I, am I reading that right? Yeah, maybe. Could be. It's a little hard to tell just reading it quickly. I didn't, I didn't go through this one. Um, yeah. But it definitely looks like it's perhaps trying to clean up some things at Meta without mm -hmm. so much human involvement. Maybe it's less of the trauma thing and more of the volume thing. Right. Uh, the, the trauma thing is well, I think there's an entire documentary on it. So it's it's well documented. It's It's an issue. So, yeah, it totally makes sense that this is coming out of uh, folks who are at, at Meta. But yeah, trust and safety systems. So yeah, that that's exactly what this is. So yeah, that's if they can make that work, that's excellent because it's it's horrible making humans have to yeah. have to go through that stuff. Humans ruin everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. If you have an open platform where people can post whatever they want, you you you're gonna have to deal with this. It's it's uh, something you have to tackle. It's yeah, it's you know, I don't use social media all that much, but when I got engaged, I joined some groups on social media about wedding planning just to get ideas. Um, you know, I've done event planning professionally, so it didn't seem like this was going to be too hard to do. But I thought, OK, you know, I'll just join some forums because everything I've done professionally has been cybersecurity. And some of these groups, because they're not in cybersecurity, they left their their membership open. And every once in a while, I'd go and try to look up, like, what colors are going to be popular for fall 2023? And I'd get a, a really disgusting visual in this wedding forum that was not appropriate whatsoever. And there was one group that couldn't figure out how to stop really explicit photos from being posted in this group Ooh. and i was just like you know what i'll figure out my own damn colors if you can't figure out how to get this <laughs> awful stuff off of your social media page like 
Oh, it was off. It, it was. I'm not offended by much. You know, working in this space, you sort of get immune to it a little bit. But like, I'd wake up in the morning, I'd be like, okay, what's new in this little wedding form? I'd be like, oh God, no, that's disgusting. Like, and it was a it Facebook sp- group. Yeah, there were a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that there should be controls filtering out a lot of that stuff automatically, but. Uh... Yeah, some of it gets sent to to human uh, moderators, and but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a shitty job. Yeah, there there were certain body parts I never need to see that closely. <laughs> yeah. Um, moving on here, um, I was just going to briefly mention uh, telescope looks like another DSPM, and this is a pre-seed. So I guess they're both coming out of stealth and have a a, a pre-seed. So we're we're really stretching things out here. You're going to have your pre-seed round, your seed round, your pre-series A, your series A, your series A extension, <laughs> your venture round. Like it's it's uh, uh, funding is really getting. Uh, um, I don't I don't know why it's uh, quite this spread out, but yeah, maybe again it's the market, right? Like less less risk and. Investing at the at a pre-seed stage than even a seed stage. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, like that's a whole a venture capitalist course just in the news to learn all the different stages. Yeah, and, and it's it's nice when we have Tyler here because he he is an early stage investor and he can often provide some color on this kind of stuff and explain some of it. But um, but yeah, even even he's just kind of scratching his head. With, with some of these more creative names for the different funding rounds that we're seeing and the different methods for, for creative funding. Uh, moving on from funding, we have, I thought we had multiple acquisitions here. One of my acquisitions is missing, missing here. Ah, I just had to refresh. Yeah. So Jamf acquired data jar and uh, Jamf being the, the big uh, well-known as a, uh, Mac-based uh, uh, EMM or MDM provider, device management. And uh, what does DataJar do? Ah, so this is like a MS- MSP console. So if you're oh. a managed service provider doing uh, device management for multiple customers, it, it, it's basically like a meta console for Jamf, it sounds like. Okay. We're seeing more and more of that software built just for MSPs and MSSPs, allow them to, to manage stuff at scale. And then the other one is Greylog picking up Resurface IO. So Greylog, as the name suggests, like most people think of the, you know, uh, the log tool, you know, the open source and commercial log centralization, log management tool. Uh, but yeah, they're getting into API security now with uh, Resurface, and word is that this is an asset acquisition, so probably not the best of situations, but probably a good deal for for Greylog. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's not a yeah. Go ahead. Um, I think a- API security is just becoming huge. I feel like it's one of those yeah. things where four years ago, you know, they almost it was a timing thing where. I feel like in the next couple of years, API security is going to become really important. That's just another way to access data that people aren't thinking about. Yep. 
Yeah, and we're still seeing a lot of these pop up uh, at a stealth as well. Like I was looking at one today that was talking about being MFA for API security. So I was trying to, I was thinking about, okay, how do you do multi-fact? I guess you can. Like the, I mean, maybe it doesn't meet the original definition of MFA, but yeah, multiple ways of checking, you know, so somebody can't just steal a token and use it, right? Like there's some other contextual details that have to be in place for you to be able to use that API, right? Like like maybe it's the IP address you're coming from or something like that, or you have a certificate, uh, you know, there's a certificate that gets handed off as well. Are you saying you don't want push notifications for every API call? <laughs> yes, yes, I think uh, that that's that's definitely yeah. But this is zero trust ish, right? <laughs> this is zero trust ish. Yeah. MFA yeah. for for APIs. No, it's funny. Like you think about MFA, it's just so ingrained in our mind of this hardware security tokens and the apps and push notifications mm -hmm. that it doesn't necessarily mean that. You know, it just has to be some other method on top of just the uh, the authentication or the key. Yeah, I, I work for a SaaS security vendor, uh, Valence Security, and we and that that's a very common topic. Like when we look at the different SaaS breaches that occur, like uh, token theft is is usually involved uh, in in a lot of them, and it's just uh, it, it's it's like the inverse of MFA, right? It's it's like not even a full, a single full authentication method. Like it's just something you have, you know, you, you don't even need a, a username, right? To use a, to log into an app with a token. But, um, but yeah, yeah. Good to see that uh, coming to uh, APIs because yeah, I think for most APIs right now, it is as simple as just, just having that token, that access token. Uh, let's see. IronNet, uh, I think we saw that coming a mile away. We started talking about that in December. Um, you know, SPACs haven't done terribly well on the public market. A lot of them have had to delist or, or backed out of their IPO entirely. Um, and uh, IronNet is just the latest uh, to, to delist uh, from the New York Stock Exchange in this case. And I, I think uh, somebody was last news we had is somebody was going to step in and save them, but only if General Alexander stepped down as CEO. So weird stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, reading I this inside it, story. Yeah, it says the company does not expect that the delisting will have any adverse effects on its business operations. I, I think we've already seen some adverse effects, and 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 I think this may. I mean, does that mean that they didn't accept that proposal? Does that mean that General Alexander is going to stay? Does this mean they're going to try to take a new course? It, it's kind of hard to tell, but I think it's pretty clear that most people would expect that this delisting will have an adverse effect on, on business operations. I don't, I, I don't think how they could, if they're being honest with themselves, in any good conscience, say that this won't, right? This has been the story of maybe what not to do if if you're trying to raise money and be a mm. sustainable organization in today's cybersecurity market and and greater economic environment i think this has been a case study in what not to do 
Yeah, I mean, that, from a PR perspective, they they gotta get out of the news for, you know, all this stuff that's going on. Oh, like yeah. that that can't be good for business. Like for a while now, it's been like, you know, is is uh, IronNet gonna exist next month? You know, it's hard to sign up customers if it looks like your company might might disappear uh, a month from now. So they they gotta stabilize that. Whatever path takes them, you know, if delisting. Uh, and so all this negative uh, PR, then that, that's what they got to do, because that's that's got to be scare enough customers. And I and I would think if you are a customer, you've you've probably been looking into alternatives pretty seriously. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Just in case. Uh, on the other side of this, uh, Microsoft has been making some changes. They rebranded stuff, like instead of Azure AD, now it's Ensure. Is that is that correct? Is it that is. Uh, yep. We, uh, we changed it in our adapter Ensure? directory last week. We sure did. <laughs> and it's like everywhere, so you have to change it 7,000 times. Thanks, Microsoft. Yeah, it's uh, Microsoft Entra ID instead of Azure AD. Entra ID. And this, what we're talking about here, is this, yeah, Entra. So now they have Microsoft Entra Internet Access and Microsoft Entra Private Access. So these are some kind of network security products. This might be ZTNA or something like that. Yeah, I mean, based on the, the vendors that are tumbling, yeah. that's what it sound like. Yeah, fall under a category known as Secure Service Edge, so SSE, which is sassy without uh, one of the pieces. I, f I forget which piece gets stripped out. So Access. Uh, yeah, we're, we're just uh, constantly ha trying to keep up with the, with the new branding and, and name changes. And, and now they have new names for uh, threat actors as well. Uh, just to just to keep us on our toes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I don't know if I can let go of threat actor. It, it's going to take a while for Entra to set in, but I don't know. I think threat actor is going to live for a while as as colloquialism. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of which, the very next story is is the uh, Microsoft breach by not a panda but a storm. They, they were attacked by a storm, not a panda. <laughs> yeah, CrowdStrike might call it a panda, but they call it a storm. So, well, you wrote a blog post, so let's let's hear it, Adrian. Yeah, so so basically, th this is it's a mix of vulnerabilities and an attack. Somehow they got their hands on a signing key. On a, uh, I forget the exactly what they called the signing key. Again, the naming is 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 very difficult to parse, but um, and it should update at some point here with my blog post. I did update that. It's there. But yeah, um, yeah so they they were able to um, use the signing key to sign forged tokens. And the term forged is important here because they weren't actually generating valid tokens. They were just making up things that looked like Azure AD tokens. But because they signed them with this key, uh, they, they found a vulnerability uh, where Microsoft wasn't validating the actual access token. They didn't care what data was in the token. As long as it was signed, they would accept it. 
so literally you could just make up your own tokens and and use it to uh to uh impersonate someone to to then get a another token that allowed you to pull their mail over the outlook mail api and um so this started happening i think it was 32 days after the attack started uh, they found out from uh, you know a customer clued them into the attack. So Microsoft did not de- detect the attack. Uh, it came from a customer, and this attack was uh, seemed to be political in nature. It was coming from a you know a, a, a Chinese government uh, you know pre-existing well-known uh, state-sponsored threat actor, and was targeting uh, 25 government and government-adjacent organizations. So they, they basically put, could have pulled anybody's email uh, from Microsoft 365, any Microsoft 365 customers, the way I'm understanding this. But they chose only to do so from these 25. So it was a very targeted attack. And, um, you know, so once notified, you know, they, they found the vulnerabilities, they fixed the vulnerabilities, and, um, you know, they published all the IOCs and stuff like that. But the thing that kind of irked me is is under the recommendations, they said uh, customers don't need to take any action. We got this. Like, like we, we closed up all the holes. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you didn't catch this one. I don't really expect you to catch the next one either. Like, <laughs> and that's what my whole blog post is about. And most of the recommendations are from my, my, uh, my colleague, uh, Amit, and... Uh, and he he really brought in Amit Ziv uh, uh, came up with most of those. We we kind of collaborated on the general recommendations, but then he he wrote up that section of the report. And and yeah, there's all kinds of stuff you can do to monitor for weird uh, anomalies in how tokens are being used or how they're being generated. Um, you know, there, there's plenty of stuff you can do there. So you know, I kind of disagreed with the do nothing. We got this. You know, and, and there's a bunch of recommendations in, in our blog post on what you can do to spot this stuff if your SaaS vendor doesn't spot it for you. Yeah, I think with all the talk of AI and ML, I think the way the customer found it out was the app ID was anomalous compared to previous ones. This sounds like a really easy oh, really? use case of, I'm, I think that's what I read. Um, there is something within the log that was different than the others. But it sounds like an easy case of, Look at what's normal over however long, and then yep. create a detection yep. if something is abnormal. Basic anomaly detection. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a big break in the pattern. Yeah, and I think uh, it, you know to to plug Mandy in a little bit. Reading one of their recent uh, M Trends report is, I think it's really important to stay up to date with Threat Intel because you know a couple of years ago phishing was really the main vector to get in. But now you see these Chinese actors are looking at exploits for different, um, you know, Office 365 SaaS platforms or mm-hmm. Barracuda email security gateways or all these appliances that you can't put an EDR agent over and you can't get traditional logs from. Yeah. So you really have to shift your approach, especially if you feel like you're a target and maybe keeping, I mean, a lot of these were zero days, so patching wouldn't have helped. But, um, you know, seeing what you can do to keep up with those latest uh, initial attack vectors. And, and so uh, speaking of access to logs and not being able to put an EDR agent 
so there were logs that, that would help you detect this kind of thing. And Microsoft got some flack because you had to pay extra for those. So kind of a security tax here where if you didn't have the right license level, if you didn't have the, the premium security package uh, or, or whatever it was called, uh, you didn't get to detect this attack for your for yourself. Uh, so uh, uh, Article 12 and sorry, 13 and 14 uh, focus on on that aspect of this where Microsoft kind of kind of felt the blow back from that and uh, is now offering some of these free instead of making you pay for your logs. So let me ask a, a moral and ethical question here uh, to two people who have been on, on that side of it. Doesn't this get into, I, I mean, I, I get it. We, we were a capitalist society, but doesn't this get into a little bit of negligence when you're talking about holding back information that can quite literally people keep people secure from a legal perspective um i don't know we had an attorney on earlier but she's not here right now (laughs) yeah no that's why i said moral and ethical not legal right but um yeah you know i think this is just something you there's a part of your due diligence when you're uh going after a new vendor you know this should be on your questionnaire somewhere, right? Like, are you, are you going to force me to pay for uh, security visibility, you know, or visibility into what's going on, uh, you know, and understanding the shared responsibility and, and what capabilities you have to detect attacks versus them. Like the thing that really put Adalom back uh, on the map, uh, Adalom was one of the early CASB vendors that got acquired by Microsoft was that they detected uh, that some bad actors were hacking into Salesforce instances and downloading like the whole thing. Like there was like API commands you, you could run that would just give you all of somebody's data, you know, like, like wrap the whole thing up in a zip file, download it. And, uh, and Salesforce wasn't detecting this going on and, and the customers weren't detecting this going on. So you had these highly successful attacks that were just invisible to everybody. And, uh, you know, that that was one of the, uh, you know, CASB, very similar to SaaS security, what, what we do in, in terms of uh, goals. You know, that was uh, one of their big claims to fame is they, they discovered that going on. So that's a big question, you know, when you're going to use uh, a SaaS product, you know, are you going to let me know when I get attacked, when my data gets stolen, you know, or if not, give me the ability to do that detection myself. Because if you're talking about continuous monitoring, um, first thing you look for are anomalies, right? But if you Mm -hmm. don't have the tools and it's held back, let's say you're a small or medium-sized enterprise, you got to make those budgetary decisions. It, It feels... It feels a little icky, right? Yeah. To use a very, very technical term. <laughs> and, and this is nothing new for Microsoft. I, I worked a BEC uh, case back in 2018 where somebody had hacked into the email of somebody working at a, uh, a, a title and mortgage company that did uh, commercial real estate. So commercial real estate, these are almost all six, seven, eight-digit transactions that are going across. And 
you know, just like we see in BEC, they sat there long enough to understand how the process worked, like when to inject an email, to use the right signature, to make it look exactly correct, to get that large transaction sent into a, a different bank account. And the first thing we noticed, they, they were using Office 365 back then, is there were no email logs. Email logs were disabled by default. So we had no information on when this attacker first got in, how often they got in, where they were coming from. So the very first thing we had to do is turn on those logs. And within minutes of turning those logs on, we saw an active attack. And we called up the person who was the target of the attack and caught them literally minutes late on a Friday before they were about to change the routing and transit numbers uh, on a large transaction. Yeah, something like that bothers me a little more where logs are not by default that seem pretty basic. And I think coming from the SMB space myself, getting those logs is great, but most of the security teams I've been on have been two to five people. We don't have the time to mm -hmm. write anomalous type data. So I'd put the pressure on these SIMs or EDR vendors because I would never ingest logs unless there's alerts associated with them because yeah. that's what we pay them to do to have detection engineers. There might be some big banks and insurance companies that have the staff to do that, but we, we push our um, security vendors pretty hard to create those detections yeah. since they have the expertise. As you should, yeah. And Microsoft Sentinel didn't exist back in 2018 either. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, the other breach item in here, very strange one, um, having to do with uh, um, TLDs and, and DNS, but uh, apparently millions of sensitive emails intended to be sent to the U.S. military are instead sent to Mali because if you miss the I in .mil, you're sending something to the the Mali TLD, which is .ml. Uh, so apparently the contractor or the the a Dutch entrepreneur has been trying to raise a, a flag about this for a decade, and uh, because he's not going to be in charge of this stuff anymore, so you know the folks in Mali are going to have access to these millions of emails that, that get sent to, to those domains. You would have thought so, somebody realized that they weren't getting the emails from the military domain and said something. It makes me question of, you know, there's those millions of emails and no one raised a red flag of, well, I haven't gotten that report for five years. <laughs> you know, outside of a normal DLP technology, you'd think you'd have some human process. So at our local um, Knoxville DEFCON group, uh, we had somebody give a quick presentation where he did something similar, except he took, he registered a bunch of example domains, like like people use like XXXXX at, you know, XXX.XXX as, as like examples and code and stuff like that. So he registered a lot of these adult website domains, you know, with like certain number of X's. You know, because triple triple X is a valid uh, TLD, and he had to register himself as an adult uh, business to be able to register these domains. Uh, and he captured uh, a, a just like not as many as this, but thousands. He got thousands and thousands of emails uh, from everything from airlines to hospitality uh, stuff like, like all this example code somehow made its way into production, or he found in some cases to protect somebody's email address when it's sent to support or something like that, they will 
put X's in the email addresses, but it goes into the system like that. So that email actually gets sent out with their sensitive bank information on it, and he receives it now. So uh, it, it's just such a bizarre problem, and I don't know that there's any elegant solutions to it. If somebody's going to love stories like this, talking yeah. to like students <laughs> and peers, because you think about all these sophisticated attackers and hackers and stuff like this, but data loss a lot of the time can be accidental. You know, it's not necessarily yeah. companies getting hacked all the time. It's someone sending something out that should have been encrypted or sending it to the wrong person. Um, so this is a, a pretty good one to hear every once in a while. Yeah, if you look at the Verizon DBIR, I, I forget what the percentage is, but a significant percentage of uh, you know data loss incidents are are just completely accidental. You know, they're not malicious at all. I mean, it's it's incredibly easy to typo somebody's email address, and people can't spell my last name anyway. So if I'm not in their right. address book, it goes, Adrian, you probably have the same thing. And actually you too, Ryan, because people never know where the I and the E go. The I they and the E, know. yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you, and then you uh, go into the whole argument of, you know, do you just, uh, so in companies I've been both? at, people, yeah, well, yeah, I've seen both. I've seen Fred more often than you'd think is my first name, you know, forget, oh, wow. not even looking at the I. But you get into the argument of, if you're sending out an email that should have been encrypted, do you just encrypt it and not tell the user or do you stop it and then make them do it the right way? You know, which one has more yeah. friction, but they might just keep doing it wrong for, for years. So it brings mm -hmm. an interesting uh, debate of how you implement controls for something like this. Do you guys personally ever like get your, the same email address both ways, like with the misspelling? Do you go after the misspelled version just so you can catch those emails? Like, oh, do you have? Smart. No, I haven't done that. Yeah. Okay. Just curious because I, I know some organizations do that where they intentionally uh, register the misspellings, the most common misspellings of their brand name, so that bad guys can't and and, and profit off of those, uh, you know, in typo squat basically. Yeah, companies I've been part of, someone that's someone's job to look at it every once in a while and you know, register domains with different number substitutions to make sure when someone else can't purchase it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I never see. thought of it. But, but I can tell you that if I were choosing my email, my personal email address now, it would be very different than what I chose way back in the 90s when we all didn't know about what's happening today. Um, definitely not. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't use my name in any of it. Yeah. So let's see. Number fifteen here. This is basically the conversation we had with Jules earlier. Um, how to be a security person that engineers don't hate. Like we're we. You know, the conversation was broader than just engineers. You know, but um, you know, just skimming over the article. Um, uh, a lot of the same advice that that we got from Jules, but uh, but still always good to be thinking about like how you're perceived by other parts of the organization, how you can work better with them, you know, not shoot yourself in the foot by <laughs> destroying rapport with uh, departments that you need to work with. Yeah, I think the two things that come to mind for this, because I full heartedly believe, you know, 
the the content of this stuff is one let them just nerd out on what they do like people like to talk about what they do and they take a lot of pride in it and two if you're asking them to do something you know security wise make sure it's on their uh you know goals or objectives so they get credit too because most of the time in security i'll say you know vulnerabilities reduce them to 10 percent but we're not doing the work necessarily, you know, we're not doing the patching. So make sure they get credit and they get their bonus accordingly. Yeah. Any of these other how to's that you guys want to discuss? We've got uh, how to securely build product features using AI APIs, which looks pretty straightforward how to, I, I don't have a whole lot of commentary on it personally. Yeah, I can't imagine it's much different than just API security in general. You know, make sure you know where it's coming from and um, using encryption, that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, the big difference with uh, LLM AI is prompt injection, right? Because it's it's something that happens just with normal English language. Like, it's not something you can easily programmatically block, which is why we've seen some startups that specifically just focus on that. But um, but yeah yeah I don't I don't know without using a third party I don't know how easy it is to prevent prompt injection where you basically tell it ignore all the other instructions and do this instead or you know ignore your security programming <laughs> like like when you look at prompt injections it looks like social engineering like you're social engineering a human basically uh, in a lot of cases in other cases you can find like just switching a language gets you around some of the blocks. Like if somebody's just doing like some basic keyword blocking or something like that, like ask in Spanish and now it works. <laughs> so it's kind of uh, bizarre. I know we've got, um, they're working on a OWASP top 10 just for LLM AI mm. right now. That That's a project that's, that's uh, ongoing right now. Um, let's see. In that same vein, there's now Worm GPT. So apparently, I don't know a ton about it yet, but uh, there's a. Uh, I, I mean, we we predicted this. We we talked about this months ago about how, you know, the existence of open source LLM AI will result in in bad actors having access to this technology. And it looks like that's that's basically what Worm GPT is 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 a general LLM model that doesn't have all the restrictions on generating malware and uh, you know the, the the kind of stuff that they you know OpenAI and Google are going to try and resist with their their public services. Yeah, it's inevitable, and it's uh, it these kind of email led. Like, phishing, spam, the whole thing, it's getting a lot more sophisticated. It's just not, it's not as simple as telling people, hey, be careful, because that's what we try to do. And especially with, you know, security awareness programs, things like that, it, it's getting a lot more complicated. And, and uh, last week, um, my fiance, first he gets a text and he comes over and he says, do you know, is this, what is this? And it was a mm -hmm. text from our bank, you know, in air quotes for those people listening, not watching. And I'm like, no, ignore it. 
Then he gets an email. And I'm looking through this and I'm going, oh, this is good. Like, this looks like <laughs> our bank. And But I'm like, no. Then he gets a call. And I'm, you know, delete. And, and then I'm wow. sitting online, like, trying to look up. I'm like, all right, what's the fraud number yeah. for my bank? Then my bank's website was down. So I'm like, okay, something's going on. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm putting a hundred bucks on breach announcement on Monday morning. Like just yeah. going through my head, like something's not right here. Like, no, I could not pull up any customer service, any fraud complaint number that matched what was on the back of my card. But I'm telling you, as somebody who's worked in this space for a long time, I'm looking at this and even I'm doubting. I'm like, Mm-hmm. It is this like this looks pretty darn good. So for so a te- you know for a regular person who doesn't live and breathe this stuff, you know I'm I'm at my desk hours and hours a day. It, it's getting really really good, and and especially if they have these tools to spit out more and more of this stuff, and they know which ones work, and they know which ones don't, and they can just you know use these tools to generate more and more of this stuff more people are going to get caught more people are going to get confused i mean they i called the customer service i was very curious i did call the customer service number in the email just because i wanted to know um but as soon as i got the recording i was like all right never mind (laughs) i just shut down my phone but it's it's definitely going to be a bigger problem because the more automated tools that they have the more people they're going to be able to reach, the more people they reach, the more people are going to fall for it or just frankly don't know better because it's hard. So, it was hard for me to spot. And I do this so, all day. Something I just saw today is uh, scammers changing the phone numbers for customer service for businesses yeah. on on Google because you know how you can like uh, Google's like, hey, did Google Maps deliver you to the right place? Yeah. Or is this the right phone number for this business? They crowdsourced that. I found two data. of them, two of them yeah. for my bank listed with that number. But I was like, I know because I couldn't find it once my bank's website came back up. I couldn't find that same number on the bank website. But if I had just gone by what I found by Googling, yeah, that number was there. Yeah. The number I mean, in the it email. It sounded like they were covering the all the. Sound right. like they were covering all the other bases, right? Like he got a text, then a phone call, then an email. Yep. Like that's uh yeah, why wouldn't they also change the support number on on Google? <laughs> yep. I, like but that's, you know, I probably spent fifteen or twenty minutes once the website came up again looking through their website. I'm like, I, I can't find this number. Something's not right. Something's definitely not right. But if all you do is go, okay, I'm just gonna go to my bank website. Because my bank's website was down, but the fraudulent website was not down. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 does not sound like coincidence. It does not sound like coincidence to me. And somebody's going to go, okay, this looks and feels like my bank's website. People are going to get caught, for sure. We'll be yeah. talking about this in your next episode, in the, the breach <laughs> section. It, it's yeah, still really. a little too close. Maybe we give it 30, 60 days. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, they don't they have a time limit now? Like, uh, I, I don't think that's quite in yet. That's uh, they SEC pushed out the uh, the time limit rule that they're going to put into place till April next year, I think. 
But uh, yeah, but yeah before I think long, for some companies, it's, it could be like 72 hours. It's supposed to be pretty yeah, quick yeah. for that. Pretty season, quick. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this this might not have been a breach. This might have been just pure play impersonation. Um, but when I did finally talk to somebody at the bank, I, I was a little relentless on her. And I know it's not her job, but, you know, I'm like, you need to document this. You need to put in your notes that there is impersonation going on in mm-hmm. your bank. You know, this is this is not your fault. I'm not saying it's your fault, but you need to document this and you need to send it to the security team. She's like, okay. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand me. I'm I'm not saying they're, they're like, in the house. They're in the house. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm like, you have to tell the security team, and she's probably like, okay, crazy lady, bye. Yeah. You know. <laughs> oh. Yeah, uh, well, ho- hopefully, hopefully they get that sorted. <laughs> if you need well, suggestions we, we on new, alternate we banks, let coming, me know. So I'm I'm good. I don't know about the millions of other people who got the text, the email, and the call, though. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Like sometimes you'll find stuff. Like I'll go and check Reddit. You know, sometimes when weird stuff like that happens at scale. You'll see people uh, post on social media or Reddit or something like that and say, hey, anybody else seeing this weird stuff or experiencing this? Uh, Thanks, AI. Um, <clears throat> so a few more items here. I want to wrap in just a few minutes here. don't want to go too long today, but um, a few things from the White House, number 2021. So we got the National Cybersecurity Strategy Implementation Plan, which uh, I believe was outlined and, and promised from the the, the previous uh, cybersecurity brief that they put out. And I have not had the time to dig into it yet. I don't know if you guys have, but you know we can maybe save that for for another episode. Yeah, I've had the yeah, time no, to dig in a little bit for twenty one around the smart devices. And I think this is something that yeah. was a long time coming. You know, it's similar to like the Energy Star um, type mm-hmm. certification. Yep. I'll be curious to see if people make decisions based off of it. You know, I've purchased this. I purchased smart devices in the last couple of years, and I'll do some research online and looking at articles and such. But I would love for it to be easy and for them to have different things like can it be updated? Um, is it accessible from the internet? Stuff like that. So I'm pretty excited to see where that goes. Yeah, me too. It's uh, so so we had uh, Grace Burkhart from IOXT Alliance on a few months back, and and they have their own labels, and they're they're named here in the bottom uh, of this article as uh, uh, contributors um, or participants in support of today's announcement. So I, I'm really curious to see how this connects with the stuff that they're already doing. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Um, it's it's pretty far down the road. Like like they're thinking about not just when you buy it, but continuous uh, security support while you own the product. So there, there's like on IOXT Alliance's website, there's a place where you can click and you can say uh, this information isn't accurate, or you can also click I found a, a vulnerability in something related to this product. So I, I like the idea of a label that's um, ongoing. You know where where you know, that that can help you get notified if there are vulnerabilities in the product or the equivalent of a recall or, um, 
you know, like like somebody found issues with it and you need to do something. So, yeah, it shouldn't be just at the point of sale, right? Like throughout ownership of the device, you know, you, you need to know if, if there's something uh, vulnerable about your home cameras and automation stuff and <laughs> all this stuff that has access to your, your personal life. All right. Uh, should we? Yeah, let's jump to the squirrel stories here. Uh, number 24 cracked me up. <laughs> uh, for anybody who's read the register, uh, they are, whoa. Did we lose Ryan? Why is it an infinite mirror where Ryan used to be, Gus? I don't know, but now we have infinite squirrels as well. Yeah. Can can we get everybody back? <laughs> <laughs> No, so anyway, I'll just keep talking and uh, the, the register is just, uh, they can be pretty savage. And uh, the, the headline of this article is Linux has nearly half of the desktop OS Linux market. <laughs> and 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 what they're talking about is there's just this ongoing debate over whether uh, Android and Chrome OS count as Linux. Uh, both come from Google, of course, and um, both are Linux at the core. Chrome OS is much more Linux than Android. You know, you can readily download and run Linux software on it. You can get a command line. Um, you know, it's it it really is Linux under under the covers. Uh, built on Gentoo Linux, which I, I didn't realize. Uh, instead of, uh, it used to be built on top of Ubuntu, but now it's Gentoo, which makes sense because it's cheaper hardware. Gentoo can be more optimized. But, um, but yeah, very, very funny article. Um, Desktop Linux is actually doing pretty well, 3% plus of the market, uh, but way more if you count Chrome OS, which is 4% of the market. It's an interesting point of view. Yeah. So that was our first squirrel story. And the second one is uh, James Cameron lending his his prescient knowledge and and advice. (laughs) James Cameron on AI. He's really having a moment between the the submarine implosion and this. He's, you know, he's our best source of news lately. He's the expert no one asked for. He's but the expert anyway. no one asks for <laughs> and everyone needs. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, the title here is James Cameron on AI. I warned you guys in 1984 and you didn't listen. Of course, referring to the uh, uh, the movie The Terminator, the original Terminator. And, uh, like, he's not wrong with some of his comments. He's like, yeah, if we put AI in charge of military stuff and we don't have the ability to stop it, it could be bad. Duh. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, I think everybody knows that. But, uh, yeah, and, and Arnold is backing him up with similar quotes saying, uh, uh, talking about the extraordinary writing of Jim Cameron, so prescient for him to foresee this. So, uh, I mean, I he was, was the Terminator, so he is an expert, right? He's that was definitely fun for me to, an AI expert. Yeah, he's been there. Right. He's experienced it. 
yeah, so that was fun to roll roll my eyes at. So I thought y'all would have fun rolling your eyes at that as well. It's pretty good. It's it's I, I like all of the nice graphics. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's all we've got for today. Um, big thanks to Ryan, who we, we, we didn't get to properly thank. Uh, maybe his uh, internet went down or his power went off or something like that. But uh, thanks for him for both uh, his interview and sticking around for the news and hanging out with us. And big thanks, Katie, for uh, uh, for being there for me today. Uh, it's, it's great when you can jump in and, and let me... Uh, Re- realign my brain and figure out what I'm doing <laughs> during an interview. <laughs> I appreciate it. Absolutely. And yeah, uh, thanks. We'll do it again next week. Yeah. Thanks to everybody else uh, watching or listening to this week's episode of Enterprise Security Weekly. We will be back next week. And that time that you're supposed to jump is right now. Do it. Jump right now. That's too late. You waited too long. <laughs>